Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories of encounters with God. Today, we have Tate, and Tate is from Vestavia, which is where we are, and she is a friend, and we've all known her uh, for a little while. And so something really fun about Tate is that her sister-in-law actually shared a few weeks ago. So if you listen to Emily, three promises promises from God, then I always think it's interesting to know when when people are connected. And so they're sisters-in-law, so they're... And they're back, not back to back, but pretty close in the podcast. (laughs) And Tate has such a beautiful story of restoration in her marriage through addiction. And those are two things. I mean, all the time we get requests on stories about marriage and addiction. This is both. And God did a beautiful redemption story. He did. So we hope that um, it really speaks to you today. And here's Tate's story. Friends, we are so excited to tell you that we have a little special surprise on our Storytellers Live community, which for those of you that have joined, we are so, so thankful. I can tell you that I constantly have ideas running through my head of like, oh, we should add this and this would be so fun. And this is a fun bonus surprise. So if it's something you've been thinking about, this is the time to join right now because we do. We have a little bonus coming your way this week. That is, we are doing a Christmas episode in a few weeks with our friend Anna Nash, and she has just written a book called Christmas Matters, and she has given us an advent calendar that goes with the book, as well as the introduction to her book on audio, strictly for you, our Storytellers Live community on Patreon. So we are going to drop that today, and that way, if you want to read the book, it's amazing for Christmas, for the Advent season, and you can start because today's December 2nd. It actually will have started yesterday, but you're only one day behind. And so you can find her book. It's it's actually for Kindle only or in a PDF format. So you just go to Amazon and it's Christmas Matters. And so for those of you who are already members, you know it's there and you're excited about it. And if you're not a member, we would love for you to join us today. We do have great things planned. We've got several bonus stories already there. We have a discovery guide, which is like a Bible study around Allie's story. We have new things coming soon. And so we would love for you to join us. You simply go to patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash S-T-L community. Or to make it a lot easier, you can go to our website. You can go to storytellerslive.org and click on join our Storytellers Live community. And all of this super fun stuff is yours. So join us today. We can't wait to see you over there. Before today's episode, we want to tell you about our partnership with Never Thirst. Never Thirst is a ministry that brings clean and living water to unreached communities in Africa and Asia. That's right. Lindy and Robin, did you know that almost 800 million people still lack access to clean water today? And over 2,300 children die every day from waterborne diseases and poor sanitation. And one of the things that I like about Never Thirst is that they don't just go in, they actually partner with the local communities and pastors in the area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So join us in supporting Never Thirst. Go to neverthirstwater.org or follow their Instagram at neverthirstwater. Thank you guys so much for having me. My name is Tate Stoddard, and I just want to share all of the miracles that God has done in my life. I am married to Rob Stoddard, and we have three children. We have been married since 2001. We met at Auburn, and Rob was my neighbor. We um, were actually really good friends for many years and had had such a great college experience together. But after several years of friendship, definitely saw each other in a different light. We were married in 2001, 
I met Rob. I just was completely crazy about him and just how funny he was. And just, we just had such, we just laughed all the time. We just had the best time together. And I was absolutely crazy about his family. His family just represented stability. I just felt like they, they were just this wonderful Christian home that I was so drawn to. So not only is Rob the prize, but I loved what I was married into. His, just the values that they had, they shared. And that was just very enticing to me. I grew up, I actually grew up, was born and raised in Albany, Georgia, and lived there until I went to Auburn. But I grew up in an extremely loving home, just, just such a fun, loving home. It was not a Christian home, but it was definitely a home where every single one of my needs were met. I was loved just like crazy. I was spoiled rotten. I just, but I will say like I just knew something was missing. Like definitely there was something missing, but I was never went without a need being met. I was the second of four children. So my sister was 10 years older than there was myself. And I have two little brothers. And I would just say it was, when I say it was like a fun house, it was always, you know, drinking for, you know, vacations and just, it was a fun house. However you want to say that. Lots of adventures. And when I went to Auburn, I realized going back that life had become unmanageable. So it was always manageable until I went off to college. And when I came back, definitely could see that it had become unmanageable. There was chaos and unrest. So now when I met Rob and his stable family, that was just very, that was very appealing. Rob and I married in 2001 and we were blessed several years later with our first child and then two more after that. We started very early in raising our family. And by the time we were 29, we had three children. Rob was, he was honestly, he was not ready for any of this. I was the one that was so ready and so excited to start this new family and to do everything right, to be honest with you. I thought I could, if I raised them in this Christian home, then everything would just be easy and be be right. And so I was just trying, I think maybe to prove something to myself, um, maybe prove it to my family. I don't know, but deep down, I wanted to do it right. And so um, I twisted his arm and you know, we were just very blessed to, to have children easily. Again, he was he was not ready for this, and I was. So time is moving on, and we're still, I guess I would just say, I probably, I absolutely found my purpose in life, and I became alive when I became a mother. It was just what I was born to be. It was my favorite, just, I became alive. So I felt like God had just shown me my purpose, and loving these babies, and just nurturing them, and tending to them. But with that became my, my role as wife kind of fell to the side. I, um, the children were a priority, even though I knew in my heart they weren't supposed to be. And I tried, but they just, they just weren't. Rob was, of course, I love my husband, but he was definitely, you know, with three, these, these three under four, he took the back burner. With that being said, I just thought that we had it all together. I thought everything was great. Everything looked great on the outside. We, we didn't fight a lot. It was, everything was just kind of moving right along. A few years later, I guess this was back in, two, we were now like in 2012, we go to 2012, and Rob is, he's sick all the time. I mean, I don't even know, he's always has a headache, he always has a stomach ache, he just, he just never feels well. So, I'm, I'm just kind of starting to think he's a baby. So, I'm thinking, you're a wimp, like you have no tolerance, like what's wrong with you? Are you depressed? Like what, this is, you know, it is very stressful having children, and just the financial burden that it puts on a family, on a marriage, and especially on a man, that role to 
to provide and to take care of your family. I've just been thinking, like, I don't know what's going on with him, but he um, even went this far, like, he had his gallbladder removed and had us had his family and, and myself convinced, okay, maybe it's his gallbladder. But this is just, you know, months and months of him being extremely sick. And I just remember during this time, one day I was just in my kitchen vacuuming, which I love to do. I love to clean. It's some sense of accomplishment. Like, I can control this. It's clean, it looks great. I vacuum, it drives my family crazy. But I just remember vacuuming my kitchen one day and just praising God just for my family and their help and everybody's feeling great. And, and the Lord stopped me very gently there. And, and I just felt this gut feeling that everything just really wasn't okay. I didn't know what it was. I was starting to think, okay, does Rob he have cancer? Like, does he have some illness that I don't know about? I just felt this very sense of like, okay, this, this is about to get ugly. But I didn't know what it was. So I just brushed that aside and I kept moving on and, and I will say like, I just, I, I did not, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I've told you that, but it, when I was a child, I do remember just laying on my parents' bed and saying, God, I've heard about you, but, and if you're real, I really, just tell me you're real. I, I don't, I just want to hear if you're real. And I do remember feeling just this, I guess I would say I felt this voice of this, I could just, I felt his presence and I knew that he was real, never pursued a relationship. I just kind of thought, wow, that was, that was strange. But I definitely, as a child, knew that there was something else out there that was bigger than me. So I'm very aware of the moments when God does speak to me. I never, I, I always feel his, I'm going to say always feel his presence, but I never feel alone. Let's just say that. I feel his presence in songs and, and butterflies and wildlife, but I just, I feel like he just speaks to me in really sweet, precious ways. On this day, just that feeling of, I guess, fear, thinking like, oh no, like something's about to happen. Meanwhile, this was just actually a few weeks, just right there in the same time, I was, I was in this big phase of decorating and I'd purchased this antique chest next to my bed. And I was again, cleaning like I love to do. And I just noticed there was a hole on the top of this chest. This chest has been there for, for many years now. And I just thought, gosh, that's weird. How did that hole appear there? And I actually like went and just puttied it up and restained it and made it look all pretty again. Couple days later, the hole appears again. And I was like, okay, there's something in this chest. So I move it and I just kind of knock the back of it and bugs come out of this chest. And I'm telling you, it completely freaked me out. So, with that being said, I take this chest. There's something next to my head that I'm sleeping with that's got something going on inside. And I take this chest and we immediately take it to the dumpster. It had these termites that were brought in from somewhere like in you know the northern part of the United States. We had but anyways, it had not gotten in our home, which is a blessing, but I was living next to something that wasn't as I thought it was, as it should be. So meanwhile, back with Rob, I'm jumping around, but back to Rob being sick all the time. Finally, there was just one morning that he was violently ill. And I told him, I said, Rob, either you can go to the emergency room willingly, or I'm calling 911 and I'm getting an ambulance. Like I'm not giving you an option. So he says, I'm going, that's fine, but I don't want you to come with me. It was a Sunday morning. It was May 2nd, 2012. And I said, fine, but take yourself. So he took himself and my sister-in-law who lives nearby swung by and we all go to church together on Sundays. And she took me and the kids to church. Well, on the way, we passed the hospital and she just dropped right up there in the emergency room and says, okay, you go with them. I've got the kids. And we said, you know, he really doesn't want me here. I told, I promised him I wouldn't come. And she said, well, I'm kicking you out. So you don't really have much of a choice. So I get out of the car and I go into the hospital. And this is during, you know, all the HIPAA and you, know, you see these signs everywhere. I just remember having to sign all this stuff. And 
I'll walk back to where the nurse's station is. And I just, I'm kind of hiding because I don't want Rob to see me or hear me. And I hear him tell the nurse how much he drinks. And I just thought, oh my God, he truly is delusional. Like he's really, he's sick. He thinks he drinks all this alcohol. He doesn't drink this. I live with this man. I know what he does. He's just, he's full of it. Something is wrong with his head. So as he leaves the nurse's station, he sees me and he's clearly not very happy to see me. And I just said, hey, your sister dropped me off. I'm here and I'm going in with you. And so I, I walked back with him to his, to the room, to the emergency room. And we're sitting there waiting. And I just remember I was reading the Twilight series during this time. And so I pulled my book out of my purse and I'm just all into my book reading this Twilight. It just completely had me. So I had all my attention. So I'm sitting there reading and the doctor walks in and I put my book away and he's talking to Rob about his liver enzymes and his levels. And, and they're speaking this language that I'm, I'm feeling kind of lost. And he asked Rob, he said, how much do you drink? And Rob tells him how much he drinks. And I just, I remember just like rolling my eyes and looking at the doctor and being like, hey, I live with this man. He doesn't drink as much. He's lying to you. And I don't know why he's saying that. And Rob looks at me and I just remember sitting there and not knowing. It, it just took me, it really just took me several minutes to be like, what in the world? And then it hit me. Oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. You are not who I think you are. You are doing something that I mean, I don't even know what, I, I just am so blown away that I have, that there's a secret going on and I have no idea. And it's really my biggest nightmare because this is what I was trying to escape when I married because my, my during this time, my father had, his drink had become unmanageable and it was just a huge source of contention for me. And now here I am with this man that my husband that is going to do the same thing to me. So we try to make a plan. We talk and he says, but please don't tell my family. Please don't tell my sister. Don't tell my mom. Don't tell anybody. I'm going to get help. We're going to do this. And I'm just like, okay. So as I'm driving home that day, I'm just thinking, I'm just praying. I'm just crying out to God saying, how, you know, how could you do this to me? I've done everything to get away from this. And now I'm, this is happening to me again. And it takes, and I just remember thinking about that chest next to my bed with the bugs in it, thinking, oh my God, not only is there a chest next to me, a piece of furniture with bugs in it, I don't know what's inside. There's this man that's on the other side of me that is not at all, his insides are nothing what the outside seems. So I'm completely just, it's just the visual. I really feel like it was a, I really feel like it was a warning from God, just as silly as that may sound that I look on the other side of you too, it's, it's not what it is. But I just remember down right there, okay, I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to put up with this. My sweet mother is just the most, she's just the most enabling, codependent kind of woman. And she, she really never stood up to my father or my siblings. Just, she was just, you know, she was such a pleasure. I'm not that way. I'm definitely more like my dad in the fact that I am very strong headed, strong willed, you know, I'm a fire. And I just remember that day on the way home saying, I'm not living this way. He can choose to get help or he can get out. And that, that is the only choice there is. So as he got home, he, I mean, like he started um, getting help that next day and it, it was, it was not very pretty. It was not very fun. And it began a very, you know, it was the beginning of a very long process. He was, you know, we were not one of those situations that let's get help. And then we're fine. A couple of weeks later, it was actually a very long, painful, drawn out process. Lots of roller coasters, lots of ups and downs, a lot of relapses. I just will say that just during this time, I never felt alone. I really, I felt God's presence just with me all the time. It was just the most depressing time. I did become very depressed. I just remember at night, I mean, I would cry myself to sleep every single night, but all I could do, I couldn't even pray. All I could do was sing praise music. So I would go to sleep singing a song and I would just sing it all night long. 
And I would wake up in the morning still just singing that song. It was it was really all I could do. One during this one day, I was just finally at the end of my rope. I was at the end. I just I would get to this point where I'd be like, okay, I'm done. I I, I can't handle this anymore. But God was just really sweet and just so precious that every time he would just throw me one more rope and I would just grab it and I would just, I would just keep holding on. But it was a day that I was, that was done. It was a very hard day. And I remember it was actually to a point where I was seeking advice from attorneys saying, what, you know, what is the next step? I'm not living this way. I had just gone to meet a friend actually at Tecate, which is a Mexican restaurant in town. And as I'm walking in the door, a man opens the door for me and the kids. And then he looks at my face and he closes the door. And I just thought, okay, this is weird. And he, he's, he gently touches my arm and says, I sit behind you at church at Shades every Sunday and I see you crying. And I want you to know that I have an alarm set on my phone and I pray for you every single day. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can tell you that God is the ultimate healer and he will heal whatever is going on in your life. And him saying that to me was, it was without question just what I needed to hear. It was God speaking to me through this man. He was, it was just, he's a very busy man. He took the time out of his day every single day to pray for me and my family. But it was God telling me that I'm going to heal Rob. I'm going to heal the situation. He just told me right there that God was the ultimate healer and he was going to heal this situation. So that was my rope that I grabbed as tight as I could. And I gripped it with all my might just to know that God was going to heal Rob. So with that time is still, you know, Rob, he actually wasn't home. He was off for, um, for quite some time and went away several different times. It wasn't a once and done ordeal. During this time, I'd also had a dream. We were in a, we were in a bad place when all this was going on, but I had a dream. And in this dream, God showed me what he really showed me what it was going to look like without Rob. He showed me and it was so wrong. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And I remember waking up that next morning with such conviction and such assurance that Rob needed to come home. So I called Rob that morning and I said, hey, I I think it's time for you to come home. And he really, he got frustrated with me because he was like, you know, that's not even funny. Like, why would you say that? That's mean. He thought I was just being mean, like telling him a joke because we were in such a bad place. And I said, Rob, I had a dream and I really feel like the Lord is telling you it's time to come home telling me that it's time for you to come home. He said, that sounds, I was like, okay, well, you know, if you really mean that. So he went and he spoke with his sponsor and the sponsor was like, okay, that's great, but let's give it a few weeks. Let's give it, you know, two weeks, three weeks. Let's just see how you're going to feel, how she's going to feel really after this. Because I will say I was not, I was supportive, but it didn't look like what you or, you know, most people would think it would look. I wasn't this loving supportive wife. I had strict boundaries. I was very angry. I wasn't really sad. I would cry out of fits of rage, like just just being furious that he would do this. So two weeks has passed, weeks passed, and I still, I, I knew that it was time for Rob to come home. I really made, it was more of a vow between me and God, because I, I told God, I kind of made a deal. I was like, look, he can come home, but I don't love him. I don't want him to be home. I don't even like him, but I'm doing this because I love you, Lord. I trust you. And I feel like this is what's best for the kids and I'll do it because I love you, God. It was strictly an act of obedience, not of any desire to work things out with Rob. And so that leads on to the kids. This was obviously very hard for my children. They were four, six and eight when this was going on and they didn't understand. We just kind of would say, you know, your daddy's sick and he is getting help so he could be a better daddy. 
Oh, it was just, I mean, it was, it was hard. I mean, they cried, they were sad, they didn't understand, but, you know, looking back now, I can smile, and it's funny because his provision over them, they don't remember it. I don't remember a lot of it, which I'm so thankful to say. I think we might all have selective amnesia, but all we really, um, it's just funny how the Lord has replaced, replaced these just sad memories with positive memories. I did at this time, I had a neighbor who my daughter would walk to their house every day after school, and it was it was gut-wrenching because her husband would come home every day, and they had a son who was in seventh grade, and dad would get out of the car, and he already had his baseball glove on, and the seventh grade boy would like run out of the front door and just throw the ball to the dad, and he would like, catch it getting out of the truck, and I just remember like watching them through the windows, and I would just be sobbing, going like, this is not fair. Why don't my kids have this dad? But, you know, he's not involved. He's certainly not jumping out of the truck with his glove on. And I can just, I'm so, like, seeing that made me so thankful for where we are now because my husband is truly the best father that there ever was. He is the most devoted on that field, the most devoted, like, like no yard. I mean, you can drive by any day. And he's always out there playing, whether it be playing badminton or playing volleyball or football or basketball. He is he is just more active and more involved than I could ever dream of being. And have, had we not had that, I wouldn't have the appreciation that I have for it now and what he is, you know, and where we are now with, with what a great daddy he is. And so I'm, I have this heart now being thankful for what we've been through because I really do know what it's like not to have it. I really, I cherish these moments when, you know, everybody's in the pool together playing or going hunting together. I'm just, I'm so thankful for, for each and every moment that, that, that we have, it's like this. Rob Nen, after we came home, it was not easy. So it was definitely not like Rob came home and yay, we're this one happy family again. It was definitely, definitely a roller coaster. I was just this horned, bitter woman and I was a monster to live with. I was way worse than he could have ever dreamt of being. And so, but as I noticed over time, you know, he's this different person. He's actually truly a different person. And, and I'm not like, I'm staying here. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here with all this bitterness and all this resentment. And I'm literally drinking poison, expecting him to die. And it's the only person that's hurting is myself. So I had to get, um, had to go through a lot of healing and forgiveness with Rob. And I do remember through all this process, somebody telling me, just a much wiser person than myself telling me that a person in recovery that's working their program and it's in recovery is way more reliable, way more dependable than any person that, you know, that is a non-addict, somebody that, and I just remember thinking, okay, I've been through all of this. I'm, I'm going to stick with this. If I'm going to have this man, that's going to be just awesome and is working this program. And I can stand before you now and say that it, it absolutely is possible. I and mean, then it's true that not only he is a completely different person, he's not the person I married. He's so much better. And I'm just so thankful. I cannot even tell you how thankful I am for us going through this trial of addiction. I unfortunately never had the luxury of of having my father sober. He passed away two years ago. He just was the most wonderful man. I mean, the most wonderful man. He was, he was a doctor. He healed people. He loved people, but he definitely fought the battle of alcoholism and is what took him. But um, I would just say my children get to live with a father that's sober. And so seeing a father, they get to live with a man in recovery, their daddy in recovery. And that to me is one of the greatest blessings. It is one of the greatest blessings. 
a cool, just another just amazing God moment that um, how we showed up. My father, when he was in the middle of his dying, he had encephalopathy. So that means his brain was completely dead. He couldn't talk. He couldn't eat. He couldn't, he couldn't do anything. He did. He, my daughter and I walked into the room one, one day and he looked at me and just looked at me with his eyes and said, I'm sorry. And so that was the last thing my dad ever said to me was, I'm sorry. And I look at that as being one of the greatest gifts. So here in this time of tragedy, God's presence is still with me. I had this amazing closure and healing with those being the last words that my dad ever said to me. So that's pretty cool. But um, I just can would like to just give hope to anyone. I mean, marriage is so hard, but I will say that if God can work this mar- this healing in my marriage, then I mean, anything is really possible. So I just, I felt like I was in a situation that really was completely hopeless. And it's just, it truly is a miracle where we stand today and how Rob is my best friend. He's, I just completely adore the man. He still makes me crazy a bit at the time, but not as crazy as I make him. I'm just very thankful for where we are. And if I had done what I wanted to do, which was give up many, many years ago, I can't imagine where I would be. And so I'm just very thankful for God's, just his mercy on me and just the strength that he gave me through friends and just through his people. And I'm just very thankful and wanted to share that with you. With this fight that we have been in, I guess you could say this addiction, this disease that we've been experiencing, God's glory has just been shown in so many ways that I really could never have even imagined. There's so much purpose in this that it's just crazy. Never would have thought to wish this on my family, but I can just, I'm so thankful for it. Just that from the beginning, Rob and I have been an open book. I couldn't do this alone. I couldn't do this without support. And so it's not like this has been some big dark secret. I've just, we've needed help. I wasn't ashamed. I wanted, we just needed help from everyone that we could get it from. And the cool thing is now we're able to help people because unfortunately, alcoholism and addiction, it does not discriminate. It goes everywhere and everyone, it, it, it doesn't care who you are or where you're from. It, it wants you. And so we are able just to help be a resource and encourage so many families and just the culture and the society that we live in today, it's, it's really hard to go anywhere without, you know, alcohol being present. I can't even, I can't even get a loaf of bread or, you know, a gallon of milk without seeing it a hundred times. And so it's just this, this culture that we live in that I just am very thankful that we can help families and, and just help walk them through this journey because there is, there is hope. I mean, you know, you can look at Rob and myself and say, okay, wait, if they can make it through this, and it's not over. I'm not saying that this is over. If they can walk through this and still love each other and still look at each other, then then I can do this and we can do this. So um, our friend group definitely did change some. It's really interesting what they say. The people that that care about this addiction, those are actually the people that don't matter, you know. But then these other people who they can they're not judging us or they don't care about this addiction. Those are the people that matter. And God just oh my gosh, the friends that He provided for us. It's just it's amazing. So you have this instant bond with people that it's just really like your souls are connected. And um, it's just, it really is. It's really cool how you can connect with people on such a deep level so quickly. The Lord has definitely blessed us with people that are so genuine and dear. And we're so thankful for that. It's really, I mean, another just really cool thing. Because when I grew up, addiction and alcoholism, it was just kind of shameful. Like 
you know, that would show that weakness or, you know, it was like, oh, they have this, you know, they can't control themselves. You're out of control. Maybe that was probably the way, you know, we were kind of raised thinking that um, my children don't feel that way. You know, I think it's, they're just, they're not ashamed. They know, you know, hey, this, we just, again, you didn't choose it. It's not like you woke up one day and said, oh, I really want to be an alcoholic. You know, this, this is, it is an addiction. It is a disease. And we've been very open with our children from day one, probably a little bit too much. I would just say there's been no shame in that. So they're so proud of their dad as am I. So as I said at the beginning, this is such a beautiful story of redemption. But for me, I mean, <laughs> and this might sound crazy to some of you, but the thing that spoke to me the most was her encounter with the man at the Mexican restaurant who had seen her in church crying, and he had gone out of his way to set a reminder on his phone to pray for her. And then he saw her there and wanted to let her know that God sees. And it just, for me, I think it just, it was such a good reminder to step out of myself. Mm. Just so often I feel like I put on these blinders and I'm just worried about my life and the issues I have going on. And it was a reminder to, to open my eyes and look around. There's a lot of people hurting around us that need prayer, first of all, but then reminding others that God sees them. And, you know, I will find myself being afraid to tell them, yeah, like being embarrassed or I don't know, that might be weird. And oh, my word, that's so wrong. Because who doesn't want encouragement? Who doesn't want to know that somebody sees them? And ultimately that God sees them. Why on earth are we afraid to speak up and say something? And just like she said, that was the one little piece of rope that she needed Mm -hmm. for that day. Mm hmm. There was so much truth in this. I mean, yes, do I want to talk about her vacuuming her kitchen? I I do. I kind of want to talk about it, but I'm not. Um, But just how God just throughout her story put little glimpses of him, like what you're saying. And when she couldn't pray, Mm -hmm. she said, I didn't know how to pray but I could turn on praise music. Mm-hmm. And that was the the just the one step that she could do. And then when she talked about that her husband was different, but she was not. Yes. Right. God needed to do a work in her. And I right. think I think for a lot of times in marriage, again, we've talked about this, but we forget it's not about changing the other person. It is about what can yeah. God do in me mm-hmm. for and, my marriage. And she gave just a beautiful analogy. We spoke yes. to her after she told her story. She gave a beautiful analogy that I want mm-hmm. everyone to listen to. So here it is. With addiction, um, that was once described to me as you're going for a walk with your loved one, whether it be your husband or your child or whoever it is you love, you're going for this long walk in the woods. And I love to hike, so I can just envision going down this long trail, and we're going in the middle of nowhere, so unmarked trails. We're hiking, and basically, you just leave, like, you're just, you leave me there, and so now I'm stuck out here in the woods, whereas you've got all these resources, you have rehab, you have people helping you, you have sponsors, and they're helping the addict get out of the woods, so years can go by, but yet I'm still in those woods, so it takes a very long time for the addict to just go back in and to get me and to walk me out slowly. So that was, I don't know, I I loved that. Just thinking of how I really did feel like I'd been dropped off in the middle of the woods for years. And it did. It took Rob a long time to get me out. Well, really, I just would like to encourage women going through or men going through these situations that there is hope for change. I just remember going when I was going through this process, I just wanted out. I wanted out as fast as I could. And I had a very dear friend say to me, you can get out. Just, just not today. 
just wait till Christmas and let's talk about it every Christmas. Or let's just wait a month and we'll talk about it. She would encourage me and say, you can, but just not today. Like, let's just wait a little bit. So if I could just encourage you, just wait, just wait a little bit. Divorce sometimes is the only option. And I do know that. I just have so many friends that have been living through this, I mean, for eight, nine years. And it's not getting any better. But I will say this whole time, Rob was desperately trying. Like he didn't want to drink. He didn't want to. He wasn't like trying to, he didn't want to. He was completely, somebody had once told me that addiction is a monster on someone's back. So I didn't hate my husband. I hated the monster that was on his back. It was not my husband. And so he desperately was trying to get this monster off. And it was, it was just a huge fight. So thanks for listening today. Like we said, like Katie said in the beginning, marriage and addiction are two of our most requested topics. And so we ask for you to share this with anyone that needs to hear it. You know, Tate said she was so willing to help. And and whenever you reach out, whether it's through a DM on social media or sending us a message on our website, we always get those to the storytellers. And, and share hope. I mean, mm-hmm. Tate said, if my marriage can be saved, then I want to extend hope and let others know that this can happen to them. And so share it with somebody. If you know somebody that's going through a difficult time in their marriage right now, please share this story with them. Yeah. And so thanks for listening. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye.